0: Listen, we love children. You can see that. And uh, children are our priority around here. We've been talking a little bit about VBS, and I want to thank all of you who uh, uh, went immediately to the meeting that day and signed up. It's not too late to to be involved, and uh, we we want you to influence children. We want your involvement. So um, we, we have a, quite a handful of people that have already signed up. It's not that we're way short of people, but this is an investment in children. So if, you, if the Lord's been speaking to you at all, please obey and sign up. There's a sign up right out there on the, in the foyer after church, and uh, you can see there's different categories. And I'm sure you fit in somewhere. So please, please sign up for that. Today's the fourth. Proverbs 4, we'll just dip into verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. I don't even want to do a proverb after that memory verse. It was terrific. Um, we've been, uh, been looking at Nehemiah, and today is the last day in this series. and um, We've been talking about how Nehemiah and God's people pushed past a whole lot of opposition um, that was coming up from their enemies, and their enemies did not give up very easily. They just didn't give up very easily. Sanballat and Tobiah did everything they could do to discourage and to discredit them and to distract Nehemiah, but he did not allow his enemies to talk him out of what God was putting on his life, so today we 're going to talk about how to stay focused and finish strong in the in the midst of distraction and we 're going to be in Nehemiah chapter six, just in case you don 't remember who nehemiah is uh, he 's this guy who, in about four hundred and forty years before Jesus, was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes in Persia, who was basically the world power at the time. King Artaxerxes had a cupbearer. And that basically means that if he was going to eat or drink something, this guy would be the crash test dummy to make sure it wasn't poison. Worked out for him okay. And uh, so he was kind of an ordinary guy. He was, he was uh, one of the Hebrews, or he was a descendant of the Hebrews who had been taken off into captivity. Basically a slave. And uh, one day his brother comes to Colin and he says, Hey, what's the story back home? thousand miles away in Jerusalem. Well, it's not good. The walls are down. They continue to be down. The people are exposed. They get raided. It's a bad deal. It's not only unsafe for them, but it humiliates our God. It's just not good. And that broke Nehemiah's heart. It just broke his heart. It didn't, didn't make him, gee, that's too bad. He was brokenhearted about it. And, and he looked that over and um, decided that he needed to pray about it. He prayed about it and the Lord stirred him up. He went and asked for permission from King Artaxerxes to go and to rebuild The wall, which is a miracle in itself because 13 years earlier, King Artaxerxes had passed a decree. The wall shall not be rebuilt. And this cupbearer comes in looking sullen, which could have been a death sentence for him. And somehow, somehow equals God intervenes. He gets permission and off he goes. And the Lord used him to accomplish something that everybody thought was impossible. There was nobody in that society that thought the walls would, would go back up. Today, things are going to get a little bit weird. We're going to have a little bit of soap opera stuff going on. We're going to have a little bit of Jerry Springer action going on. <laughs> a little murder plot going on. So let's hop in. It might be kind of fun. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Then word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab. Remember from last time, these are bad guys now. And the rest of our enemies that I, have re- that I had rebuilt the wall... And not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. So it's the walls up, but there are still openings. The gates are still open and vulnerable. So it's almost finished, not quite. And now we're going to see a principle, a spiritual principle, come into play here. And that is the closer that you get to doing something that God wants done, the harder your enemy is going to fight to stop you. It's like football being down in the red zone. Things change in the red zone, Okay. <laughs> The closer you get, the harder it is to go a yard per, y- per yard. And then there's that last three inches or however wide the stripe is. For, that's the hardest part. It gets harder and harder the closer you get. How many of you have ever faced opposition to something? Oh, the rest of you haven't faced up. Op- Come on! I mean, we—I know we've, you know, and you don't. We learn also that you don't face spiritual opposition because you're doing something wrong. You face spiritual opposition because you're doing something right. And for some of you, while we've been talking through this series the last few weeks, you've been moving towards some things, and you're starting to sense there's some resistance to some of those things. You know, maybe, you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. Maybe you're, maybe you've been thinking, you know, I need to get involved in the children's ministries, and so you're on your way to church, and that day that you are all ready to sign up and invest yourself, your little one throws up in the car, and not only do you not serve, you don't even make it to church because of... That's disgusting, Terry. Don't use that as an example. Next time, okay. Or maybe, maybe you've been married for a long time, and you've decided, okay, I'm gonna, get, we're going to get this stuff back center Christ, and we're going to get things right. And so, it comes Sunday, and you're thinking, okay, we're going to church, and we're going to just see what the Lord's doing, and we're going to worship, we're going to, we, we're going to, we've got a momentum here, the Lord's put on here, and somebody's a little bit late, somebody says something rude, something, and all hell breaks out in the car, and you never quite make it to the, <laughs> church. I've, never mind, that's never happened to me. You're almost there, and then opposition. Or, maybe, maybe you've decided you're going to lose some weight, so you go on this diet, and you're you're exercising right and you're, you, you worked on it and you get down and you're, you got this goal weight and you're like seven pounds away and the last seven might be the hardest but you're doing really well and you need to go get something at the store and when you notice as you walk through the doors the Twinkies are on sale. Buy one box, get 14 boxes free. <laughs> How do you pass up those Twinkies? You're almost there and then some opposition. We'll find out that the closer we get to that goal, the harder our enemy is going to show up And fight us. We're going to talk about some of the strategies. Two of the strategies that the enemy is going to use to stop you. And the first of those is that your your enemy is going to try to distract you. Nehemiah 6.2, Sanballat and and Geshem sent me this message. Come. Let us meet together. In other words, stop what you're doing. And let's have a chat. Come in. In one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Everybody say, oh, no. (laughs) I don't know if that's a spiritual axiom or not, but never meet somebody in a place called, oh, no. (laughs) Makes me think of, you know, scary movies. You know that? Have you ever noticed in a scary movie that there's something going on in this room and the person that's going to be the victim backs in instead of, you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Okay, so, oh, no, don't go have a meeting in, oh, no. Their enemy sees their progress, sees that the walls are almost up, I love a train whistle. Trains are cool. That's not enough. I mean, I want a good long. He's probably being polite to us. You know, he sees this progress. It's almost finished, and he thinks, we've got to stop him. We've got to do something. We'll distract him. How about we just ask him to come to a meeting? The thing was that he had more, way more sinister plans than just a chit-chat out in Ono. When you start moving forward, doing what God wants you to do, your enemy is going to try and distract you. And it may not just be the big things. You know, most of you are probably, or maybe all of you are smart enough to go, "Uh, uh-uh, I get that, that's, that's meant to distract me, I'm not going to fall for that. It's the little times, the little, the little distractions over time that become big distractions. Here's an example. I, I, this happens to me some. I'm, I'm resisting the urge more and more, but um, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I really got to spend some time, and I'm going to do some studying and so forth. And then down in the corner, this thing f- pops up. I've Outlook, you know, and it kills me that something's coming on email. So and so has made a comment on my What's my my page? My Facebook page, and I'm thinking, well, okay, I'll just go for a minute and see what's going on, right? Click. And then pretty soon, you know, it's three hours later, and I haven't done anything that I was planning to do. A little distraction gets in the way. It wasn't big. It was a small one. Or maybe it's something even good. You've got things going. You're a busy mom and dad, and you've got your ducks lined up, and you're spending time the way you want to and so forth, and and uh, family's growing, and you're feeling good about where the Lord's taking you. And in fact, you're feeling pretty good. And people around you are too, and they notice that, and they say, hey, I'd like to invite you to be on the parent teacher's board at school, the conference, or be on the group. And you're thinking, wow, that'd be good. I'd like to do that. Sometimes it's good distractions. It's good things that can be distractions. And sometimes it's good things that we do that could get in the way of the grand things that maybe God would be doing in our lives. So it wasn't a bad distraction maybe, but sometimes it's a good one. I think we need to be careful sometimes about the so many good things, good things that we have going on in our lives, that there can be times that God's things get nudged out. And I, I'm not, I don't want to preach to you guys. You're the choir. You're in church on Sunday. Probably people that need to hear this don't, you know. I mean, but the point I want to make is that you know when so many good things are going on um, that you need to say sometimes no. And it takes courage sometimes to say no to something and to explain why. And so sometime you're going to be on your wall doing what God's called you to do. And the enemy's going to distract you. And you're going to say this from the deepest part of your heart all the way down to your heels. I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. Everybody say, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. No, no, this time let's growl. I'm not coming down. Now growl with a smile. I'm not coming down. Um, Okay, Nehemiah 6, (laughs) verses 2 and 3. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Don't go there, Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and I cannot go down. I'm doing something important, and I'm not stopping it. He's saying, Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? I'm not coming down. I'm doing something important. And you have to have courage sometimes to say no, even if it's something good. Now, I'll give you an example. Our church is, you know, we're, we're not good at everything but we're good at a handful of things this church is good at a handful of things we're we're good at really taking i think that you are good at taking the love of christ and somehow translating that so that people feel, feel that and sense that when they come here i mean i know there are mistakes and i know that we miss we miss on that sometimes but in general you are really good at making the people feel welcome here and i love that i don't ever stop that let's throttle that up even more i mean it's great you're good here at, this, this church family is good here at saying to themselves, we are going to invest ourselves in worshiping God and studying the word of God. I mean, you do that really well here. You, have, you know that if you bring a guest to church, we're not going to do weird stuff to them, right? And you know that God will be glorified because that's what this group of people chooses. It has way less to do with a couple of leaders and everything to do with the temperament and the choices of the people that sit in the seats. Thank you for that. I want to be a part of this church family. You want to be a part of this. I mean, it's it's good. You're good at that. And by the way, those little simple things, our neighbors need it. Our world around us needs that. We need it. We need it. And I also believe, though, that there are other things that we're good at. Heaven-mandated. That are in gestation right now. I know they are. Because some of you are starting to tell me these things. And I'm just watching and listening. Um, You know. It's common. I've been in a church for a long time. It's common in churches. As they become vibrant. um, Such as, as us. That people start having some ideas about things the church could do. Now, the last church I was in was quite a lot larger than this one. We had a lot more resource. And I had, a, I had people that would come all the time and say, hey, we should be doing X, Y, and Z. I mean, there would be people that say, hey, we should, be having, we should build a gym. That way we can have gym class and we can hop and dance to... Who, honey? Keep going? Okay, so um, Amy Grant. We can, we can hop and dance to Amy Grant. And I'm thinking, okay, well, that's nice. It would be a good thing for Christians to get together and do their exercises to Amy Grant. Um, might not be the best stewardship of the funds. It's not an, it's not a bad thing to do. It's not necessarily the good thing. And maybe it's not in the sweet spot. So I don't know. Maybe would be better off if you just keep your membership in your gym and be an influence on the people that are there that don't know the Lord, and you get the same exercise, and um, maybe that's a better thing. Or, or people would say, hey, let's build a Christian school. I mean, there, though, there are lots of good things a church can do they're not all in the sweet spot for any given church that I'm not saying that churches shouldn't have gyms and they shouldn't I'm, not, I'm saying that each church has to find out from the Lord what their sweet spot is. The last church we had some pretty prolifically gifted people in video, and their ideas came up repeatedly. hey, we should do a feature length Christian movie you know that goes in the theaters. Other churches, a couple of other churches around the country have done that. And they've been successful. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I really believe that the Lord has to mandate something like that for a church to be successful. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Or it could be a good thing that really distracts a lot of people and a lot of resource from the grand thing. At times, there are lots of things we could do. But just because you could do something doesn't mean you should do something. And it takes courage to say, I can't come down i can 't come down. I love how Lisa is capturing this she doesn 't like it when I talk about her, so but she lets me um, and it takes some courage. you know she 's got a ministry to um, she has a she has a mentoring ministry with pastors wives, a lot of them, and she 's had meetings at our house where they would come, and she speaks into their lives and um, that's a great ministry because she's investing in their lives. She's investing in the, the health of the families of those pastors. Therefore, she's investing in the health of those pastors in their ministries. I mean, it's this cascading point of real investment, and she's good at it. She's good at it. Those people are pursuing her, and they're saying some things like, you know, you, you know could, you, could you teach this? Could you lead, me lead this? Can we get together? Could you participate in these kinds of things? And she has to answer them and she has to know when she says this and mean it and believe it. She has to say, I'm really doing a great work and I can't come down. I'm managing my own household. I've got a father who's on hospice, and we don't know how much time he has left, and he needs a lot of my time. And I've got a mother with severe medical situation who lives somewhere else, and she needs my time. I'm Pastor Terry's assistant, and that's a total black hole of time. And, <laughs> and she has to be able to say, I'm doing a great work. And it's not that what you're asking me isn't important because it is, but I just can't come down off the wall right now. And she said that to me twice last fall. my own wife. I mean, I love how you captured this. You know, there were a couple of times where, um, I think I was getting a little raspy, ragged around the edges. And so was Lisa, just because we run and, and taking care of your parents, which is the right and honorable thing to do. If you have any way to do it, you should. And we're doing that in these circumstances where her father needs her and her mother needs her. And, um, so I kind of tried to, I'm the planner. I plan a little bit further. And I tried to plan some time where we just be away for a couple of days just get away some time to rest. And it wasn't just to go play because we wanted to go play, but we really needed that time. And I had it planned, and I was, I was emotionally invested in it. And I'm thinking, okay, they'll be okay for three days. We'll be back. I mean, they'll be, there's a phone in your pocket. It'll be okay. And twice in the fall, she said to me, I can't. I'm doing an important work right now. Now, she didn't say I can't come off the wall, but she's basically saying to me, I can't do that right now. I'm doing something important, and this is the season we're in. Some of you need to internalize that thinking a little bit. You know, some of you, you know, there may be people here who you're you're working a full-time job and you're raising three kids. Somebody needs to tell you that raising those kids is a great work. It's a great work. In this season, you're pouring your life into your children. And um, that life is going to come out of them somewhere. I'm doing a great work and I can't come down right now. Or maybe you're a guy and you're building a business. And you're also trying to be involved in a ministry in your church. Way to go for that. Glad for that. And just the requests that are good ones. Hey, join the softball team. Hey, come with us on this hunting trip. mean, those Good things. Sometimes you have to be able to say, I'm doing a great work and I can't come down. I remember as I, um, as I made the transition from my secular um, career to the ministry, and um, there were things in the ministry that was just chewing through my time and I needed to be involved in it. And I had a bunch of close friends who were my hunting buddies. You know, guys, you guys know that, that when you go hunting, you create these, these bonds with your hunting guys and it's, they're, your, they're your brothers. And there were times that I said, I'm sorry, I can't go. And that became more and more. And some of them were hurt by that. Some of them just did not understand it. What do you mean? You're letting us down. You, you need to come with us. They just didn't understand. So I would say to you, it takes courage to say these things. Because sometimes you're just not going to be understood. Your heart's going to be mis- misunderstood. Okay, so, so two of the enemy's strategies to stop you. He's going to try to distract you. And the second way is that your spiritual enemy will try to discredit you. And when your enemy tries to discredit you, he'll do it in two typical ways. The first way is he's going to spread rumors about you, gossip, misinterpret your motives. He's he's going to cause people to try to misinterpret your heart. So let's take a look at Nehemiah 6, verses 5 through 7. Then the fifth time, Sanballat, fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. So now let me contextualize that for you. That's like what today would be a blog. Letters would be typically sealed so that they would be private. If a letter was unsealed, that was, that was intentional. It was meant to be read by people. It was meant for other people to see it. It was meant to stir this thing. It was the like tossing it up, putting it on a billboard. Unsealed letter. In which was written, it is reported among the nations, people are talking, And Geshem says, remember, you know, remember him? He's one of the bad guys. He's one of the bad guys. He's got a flawed character. And they're quoting Geshem, which is typical of people who gossip. They quote other people with bad character. Geshem says, it's true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king. Now, this report will get back to the king. So come, let us confer together. They were spreading rumors, and there was no truth in this. None. In fact, in Nehemiah 5, which is the preceding chapter, you'd see that the exact opposite is true. You know, he was probably the most self-sacrificial leader around then. He could have taken financial gain for himself because of his role. He didn't. He could have had special food brought to him because of his place as the governor. He didn't. In fact, he took his own resources and invested them to help needy people get out of debt. He spoke on behalf of the poor. This guy was the exact opposite of them. He spoke on behalf of them, and he was falsely accused. And as I was considering this, you know, I thought of a a modern-day Nehemiah. I mean, I haven't thought this through a lot, but this guy is kind of like Nehemiah to me. And he's gone now, Dr. Martin Luther King. I don't know what you think or feel about him, but... This was a man in a time where our country was upside down with political turmoil. And he got on he, he got on the opposite was the Lord told him to tear down a wall. But I really believe it was God. And he made huge sacrifices, including the ultimate sacrifice, to stand for that belief. He's he's like Nehemiah, but that's a distraction for me. I kind of like MLK. So anyway, the more you do for God. The more our spiritual enemy will use people's tongues to talk about you and to spread rumors. You know, I want to remind you you don't face opposition for doing something wrong. You face that spiritual opposition because you're doing something right. And Nehemiah, here's what he did he just says, Hey, it's not true. Then he prayed. Then he got back to work. It's not true. He prayed. And he got back to work. Okay, so your enemy is going to discredit you in two ways. One, he's going to spread rumors and gossip. The second way is that he's going to tempt you to compromise. So now we get down to some of the uh, you know, the soap opera part of today's, <laughs> today's scriptures. We get down to verse 10 where we're going to see a new character named Shemaiah. Now, Shemaiah was probably a temple priest. The reason I say that, th- th- we don't really know for sure, but he was probably a temple priest because he apparently had access to the temple. That's a pretty big deal because the Lord had prescribed some requirements about the temple. Only the priests, the descendants of Aaron, only they were allowed to go into the temple. Other people that would go in the temple, blasphemy. God could kill you. And any good follower of the Lord would know this. Okay, so that's who Shemaiah is. And uh, so we're going to get introduced to him in verse 10. Shemaiah, so he says, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. In other words, you'll be safe in the temple. They'll never think to find you there. Correct? Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him. One of the ways you know God has not sent someone to you is when they start telling you something that absolutely contradicts the word of God. You don't have to pray about it. If somebody comes to you with some advice and it goes cross-grain to this, you don't have to question whether it's from the Lord. It's not. It's just not. I realized, Verse 12, I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah, bad guy, and Sanballat, bad guy, had hired him. This guy's a double agent. Okay. <laughs> He'd been hired to intimidate me. He's playing on his fears, common tactic of intimidation, so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Now, Nehemiah could have given into this so easily because as you rise in effectiveness as a leader, it's easy to start believing that you're entitled to more than you're entitled to. He could have said, wow, you know, look at what's going on here. This is because I stepped up. I'm a pretty important guy. This would never get done without me. In fact, I do need to be protected, so I should be. I'm just that important. <laughs> he could have said that. And as you rise in effectiveness, your spiritual enemy is going to try to convince you that you're more than you really are. You see it all the time amongst leaders. You know, you see leaders say, hey, look what I'm accomplishing. I deserve more. And then they fall to greed. I mean, I'm not going to name names, but how, you know, if you just watch what's going on in our own nation, every so often you'll hear about some prolific, godly person that will. Explode in a supernova because of a failure like that. They fall to something, or, or they say, "Wow, I've got my act together here, pretty good." And the young ladies, they just like me. And and um, suddenly, somebody who's getting a whole lot done for the Lord gives into a sexual temptation, and they let one act discredit years of a good name. Or maybe maybe a woman leader, you hear about them occasionally too. Someone who's profoundly capable and a voice to speak to young women and she's an example and, and doing all that and people respect and admire her but her husband isn't there for her emotionally. But there's a great guy at work that understands her and she needs someone who understands her and he knows just how special she is. You follow the scenario, it happens. and Before long, she has all this stuff going on and then she discredits herself with just one Unfortunate act. We see it. Great leaders get to a place and then compromise discredits them and their name. The closer you get to what, what, what God wants done, the harder He's going to fight. The enemy will fight you, he'll, he'll distract you. Come on over here. They're going to kill you. It's reported among the nation. You know what I heard? That's the old version of, hey, you know what I heard? It's reported among the nation. Or they're going to discredit you. They're going to say, ah, you're not the real thing. Or, you know, she's just in it for herself. Or, or you, know, you know, you really deserve this. So when your enemy tries to distract you, you're going to say, I'm not coming down. Everybody say, I'm not coming down. Good. And when your enemy tries to discredit you, you're going to say, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. That's good practice. Okay, so that's what Nehemiah did when Shemaiah tried to entice him into the temple to discredit him. Okay, verse 11. But I said, should a man like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life, I will not go. And by the way, I'm not going to stop working on this because God created me to do this special work in this present season. Okay, so four quick uh, weeks. I'm going to real quickly just review with you four quick weeks of this this series and then we're going to wrap up who does god use god uses an ordinary person for an extraordinary purpose someone who's a a willing and willing to allow their heart to break over the things that break break the lord's heart that will get on their knees and pray and will stand up to act somebody who says you know what something's got to do something about this and it might as well be me and someone who believes that with god all things are possible and then will define the mission Clearly, we'll make plans carefully, and then we'll inspire inspire people passionately. And then when you get discouraged, what do you do? You remember your God, and you remember to fight for your cause. Who are you doing it for? You're fighting for your wife, for your kids, for their f- future and their children. And then when when uh, they, your enemy tries to distract you, you're going to say, I'm doing a great work, and I'm not coming down. And when your enemy tries to discredit you, you're going to say, there's no quit in me. They tried to. That with Jesus. And after three days, he blew out of the grave. There's no quit in him either. So what's the end of the story? Verse 15. Nehemiah, okay, 615. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in 52 days. There was no lightning from heaven. There were no talking donkeys. There was no miracle hanky all you see is a miracle of God working through leadership and determination. That's all. That's all. In 52 days, the walls were up. Verse 16, When all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence. Why? Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Everybody realized that this had been done with the help of God. I want to say this to you. What everybody thought was impossible with the help of God was accomplished in 52 days. Galatians 6, 9 says, don't get weary for doing well. Don't get weary for doing well because at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest if you do not give up. God's not calling you to take up space or to make a name for yourself. God is calling you just to hear his voice and then he will help you change your world and the world around you. Let's pray. Lord, I know um, I just have this belief down in my soul that this is more than just words to leaders and more than God, God, your spirit wanting to stir people for leadership. It's all of that completely. But I also know that there are people in this room who have been discouraged and discredited and that it hurts. And for some, that's wedged them up into the corner. And there just is a reluctance, God, to step out. I pray, Lord, for something of fresh vision to pour in there. I pray something, God, of fire. I pray, Lord, for something there of the miraculous presence that, God, you would speak speak to hearts in this room today to say, but with me, the impossible becomes real. Speak that, Lord, to people's hearts, I pray. I pray, Lord, too, that, God, this day, We worship this morning, and we said we would proclaim your name. That, God, that would be more than just song lyrics that we sing. That it would be something that we would respond to. As you speak to hearts in this room, Lord, today about their place of serving and leading and whatever that means in our community and in this church or outside this church, Lord, I just ask for it to be released in the name of Jesus. I ask God for things of hope to be released. I ask God for things of joy to be released. I ask God for the things of life and of promise to be released. I ask God for all of the good things of heaven to be released. For things that are pent up, be released in the name of Jesus. For vision that's pent up, be released in the name of Jesus. For partnership with God, be released in the name of Jesus. These things I pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with us.